Welcome to Chronosphere Fiction, a collection of series and stories submitted by various writers. I'm your host, Daniel French. If you don't know that music, you haven't listened to Gafgar and the Eternally Unfurnished yet. In which case, I suggest you go back to Volume 1. This is Gafgar and the Eternally Unfurnished Volume 3, Chapters 7, 8, and 9. At the end of Gafgarn Volume 2, Gafgarn, Doran, Wither, and Sully had just met Imadi, and they dealt with a group of bandits that used to work for Smidgen. We now find them traveling a road on the trail of the albino jester. I still can't believe Smidgen had a wife. Gafgarn exclaimed once more from the top of the rolling carriage. Though the cops dwindled on the horizon behind him, the last words of the now very dead bandit stuck to Gafgarn like the stench of bear dung. Apparently so, Alea added. And you're sure neither of you knew? Gafgarn asked, gesturing at his two underlings. Doran raised his hands in innocence. Nay, he never spoke a word of it, Gaf. He wasn't one to talk about his personals anyway. We weren't with his outfit long enough to know much about him, sir. Sully added. Doran's right. He wasn't exactly open about his past. We took his orders and guarded the camp. That's just about it. How long were you with him? Myself? Um, a little over a year, I think. Doran was there before me. Aye, a few years in the gang. But that was hardly his go-to. I just took care of chores and guarded the wall. Some heists, but always just another pair of eyes. For a couple of lookouts, you two didn't do so badly back there. And he pointed a meaty finger at Doran. Except you need to work on your lead feet. Mine are stuck in metal. And you're the one that almost got us killed, dragging yours like a couple of anvils. Oi, the rock was covered with dirt and leaves. How was I supposed to know? No excuses. You're not just a lookout anymore. Read the land. Learn to be more careful and precise. It's not just your life on the line. Remember that. <clears throat> if I were with my people, we would have cleared the wood without any of them noticing. It wouldn't even have broke a sweat. Sorry, Poss, but it didn't look like you minded too much at the time. Gafgarn allowed a tiny smirk to grace his stony visage. It was a fun little row. It was nice to let loose a little. Aleda nodded at Amadi, riding her horse next to her on the trail. Our new friend here was impressive. All turned to Aleda in response to her unfamiliar tone of reserved esteem, like the light of a rising sun peeking out beyond the dark horizon. Amadi nodded her head nestled in the shadow of her white hat and said, Thank you. I've killed many criminals with this blade since I was young. Looks as if you've been doing the same. Gafgarn found the warmth of the moment between the two women startling, like the rare red wolves of his country. Suddenly he wished he could have seen Elena in action himself. The group traveled through the countryside, filled with farmland. Simple cottages and barns of wood and thatch stood lonely and serene amid expansive fields of grain, potatoes, and lettuce. The day was pleasantly clear, with the sound of birdsong and farmer's tools accompanying the party's trek. 
They saw no one other than straw-hatted farmers until they neared the dense city that loomed at the end of the road. A great wooden palisade circled a gently rolling acropolis built atop three large hills. A stone keep crowned each hill, with crenellated walls surrounding them. The largest hill lay furthest into the city, the largest keep atop it, overlooking the city like a monolithic sentinel. Unlike Hosto, the construction here was more predictable, with notably less wobbly or leaning architecture. Outside the walled keeps, the Acropolis was a mix of wooden and stone buildings, with tapered or flat thatched and tiled roofing. Cobblestone boulevards lined with ostentatious gated estates wound about the hills, shining in the daylight like glistening serpents. The group approached the palisade, entering the city through a wooden gatehouse flanked by towers populated with archers. Smells of food, human waste, and livestock overpowered the senses immediately, and the sounds of musical taverns, aggressive merchants, bedraggled beggars, and scintillating brothels created a discordant symphony of human activity. Here, below the splendor on the hills, muddy streets teemed with common folk who lazily made way for Gafgarn's gang. Many gave sidelong glances at Amadi and Gafgarn with mild curiosity. The main streets were wide enough that the carriage and two horses could have rode side by side if not for the throng of people around them. Wither led them down a main boulevard flanked by shops and various inns. Other streets met the main thoroughfare at odd angles and shadowy alleyways threaded between buildings. Graffiti and posters decorating their walls. A reoccurring picture was a fox ready to pounce with a spear in its jaws. Out of these alleys, scurry children, many in little more than rags. Some sat by the road's edge with mournful eyes gazing at passers-by, or just as intensely into nothing. Others ran with upraised palms to strangers, clamoring with their tiny strained voices for any crumb or coin they might earn through pity. Amadi responded to the display with a look that somehow expressed both resentment and empathy. Afgarn thought he understood. His people raised their children to earn their keep. It was important to learn that overcoming struggle was a part of life, but the sad weakness before him was worse than a dusty, empty mead barrel. What kind of people allow such squalor to befall their young? Amadi asked no one in particular. Well, yeah, the great people of the kingdoms, of course! Must be an orphanage nearby. What? An orphanage. Many of the larger cities have them. The different kingdoms war all the time. Wars take parents from children, and so does the crime at home. A lot of kids are left in orphanages. Amadi watched as a group of raggedy urchins approached another passerby and begged profusely. She noticed a smaller child sneak behind the would-be benefactor to pilfer a small pouch on his belt. And these orphanages let these children starve and steal? Not always. There are punishments waiting for these ones. But many don't want the lives the Church of the Void built for them in the orphanages. They're given only enough to keep living, taught only the cosmonomicon, and are rarely shown anything other than cold discipline. In a world that's forgotten them, why wouldn't they take what they'll never be given? Sully watched the children intently, a faraway look on her face. Amadi brought her horse closer to Sully, who sat on the carriage and leaned in as she spoke to her. Because it's thievery. The crime against these children does not beget more crime from them. There's still a choice. Sully's face twisted into a sneer. If there's another way, I don't see it. All I see is survival. What survives? Filth? I can't believe this is allowed. Well, believe it. 
Amati moved her shaggy mare away from the carriage with a huff. Sully sat, rocking on the bench next to Wither, wearing a loathsome frown. She could have mentioned she was raised in one of those orphanages. She could have argued that she was more than just filth, but something stopped her. She wasn't sure if it was anger or shame. Gafgarn's grumble interrupted her thoughts as he asked, Cosmonomicon! Thorn responded from the opposite edge of the carriage rooftop. It's a book, Gaff! From the Church of the Void! Book of beasties and critters and scary whatsies and whoosies out in the great void, round the earth! They's living out on other planes and such, waiting to eat us, or love us, or judge us, or whatever you! Gods and the godlike, supposedly! Gafgarn remembered the statue in Hosto's church, a great mass of tentacles with eyeballs instead of suckers. He wondered momentarily what kind of creature it was supposed to be, but quickly dismissed it as absurd. Gods existed in the earth itself, in its plants, soil, skies, and seas, not out in the shapeless, sparkling darkness seen at night. Begging children and monsters, the kingdoms are a strange place. Beyond a bend in the main road, Elena pointed with her towards a large building, and they made their way to it, parking the coach in its stable Wither paid the stable master for everyone's bill. Then they left their horses for the inn. Above its entrance was a hanging sign painted with a skeleton pouring a liquid from a flagon into its mouth, the contents spilling through its bones to puddle beneath its skeletal feet. Below the illustration was the title, The Wasted Cadaver. Each entered, Gafgarn regarding the sign with amusement. Amadi led the rear, taking a moment to scan the street before entering. Aleda made her way directly for the bar winding her way through a large room full of thick, round tables. It being midday, only a few were occupied with lunchtime diners. Several strong-looking men and women stood cross-armed at the entrance and around the inn, their eyes scanning the group with the careful boredom of hired muscle. They paid special attention to Gafgarn and Amadi, their clothing, Gafgarn's size, and Amadi's serene but guarded demeanor, all details indicating them as curious, if not dangerous, outsiders. As they neared the bar, Gafgarn could make out a balding head behind the counter. It only just rose above the bar. A porcelain mound with thinning red hair. The head turned to the approaching Aleda, bushy eyebrows rising and a smile emerging with a bushy, lengthy beard. Two muscular arms raised in welcome when Aleda leaned on the counter bearing a grin of her own. He spoke with a luscious, gracious voice. Aleda, my favorite one-eyed demoness of the hunt. To what do I owe the pleasure? Artag, good to see you. The place is still standing, so things must be going well. Aye, as good as can be in a city like Estelring. Things as they've been, lass. The wasted cadaver might find itself situated firmly in the chaotic midst of mayhem. But that's the way it always is, I. You be needing a room then? Several. First, do you have a moment? For the guild? Always. Let's have a chat in my office. He made to move, then stopped when he noticed Wither. Artag graced the group with another pearly grin. What a lovely day it is when the cadaver welcomes Professor Goldstein. And welcome you are, my mustachioed master. It's been years, I think. Artag bowed lightly. Yes, old boy, so it has. I do recall the leisure and levity to be found at your respectable, if grimly christened establishment. And lo to those that fail to recognize the greatness of your character disguised by your diminutive stature. <laughs> Oh, did I miss the overwhelming effluence of language that sprouts from that mustache of yours? I do hope you've brought that overloaded coach of yours. Always, old boy! Then we'll have business later. Come, bring the whole crew with you. Artag made his way from behind the bar, careful to make eye contact with his guards around the room. 
Gafgar noted Artag's build. Though small in stature, he was built like a bull. He led the group through a doorway between the bar and a staircase leading up to the second floor. Inside was a long hallway filled with the aroma of cooking. As they walked down it, they passed the kitchen, a busy affair with multiple stoves and several hands about. Pallard! I'll be in my office. A young man in an apron jogged from the kitchen back down the hallway, presumably to man the bar. Artag continued past several doors before he reached the last, a simple aperture with a shiny bronze handle placed low so that he didn't stretch to reach it. He led the entourage in. Inside was a monument to luxury, an abode of tasteful opulence. His furniture was all of dark mahogany, consisting of several bookcases, a large desk, several chairs, a couch, a round table, and shelves. One corner of the room was partitioned by a wall, presumably for a bedroom. A deep red carpet covered most of the floor under the chairs and table. Matching pillows with copper-colored tassels adorned the seating. Behind the desk, cluttered with papers, was a large, upended barrel on a stand bearing the elegantly carved legs of a lion. Gafgarn liked the spigot extended from the barrel and the ornate flagons shaped like upward-facing lion heads. He'd never seen a lion in real life, but they looked like formidable creatures, akin to the great bears and wolves of his realm. You like lions? Well, I sure hope so. My pa and I were awarded that set and that keg stand for 30 years of innkeeping and brewing. The lion's the symbol of Estel Ring Kingdom. At least, the royal family Estel. We're two generations into that one now. We'll see how long that lasts. Gafgarn approached the keg, admiring it. Maybe you'd like a drink? Artag asked, grabbing a tankard and hoisting it Gafgarn's way. Of what? Mead. My family's brew. The inn doubles as a distillery and an extension outback. Gafgarn twisted the tab on the spigot, letting the thick, golden-brown fluid fill the lion's mouth. Mm. Mead. Before I united the clans, they met in peace once a year for a mead-brewing competition. I don't know if we're more proud of our mead or our fighting. One often leads to another, and not always in the same order. Figured you for an outlander, but with the wolf on your head. It's rumored the mead from the wilds is unmatched. I wouldn't mind testing that rumor. Gafgarn savored the aroma before taking a large pull. It was a full-bodied affair, with touches of honey and spices that left a tingle on the back of the throat. He wiped a dribble on his chin with a sleeve and commented, mm, Not bad. Best I've had in your kingdom so far. We haven't been in business this long because of our impressive height. Come, have a seat. I'll stand. Suit yourself, but none of the furniture bites. You don't know furniture like I do. Artag sat in the fancy lounger with the group huddled about and began. Odd group you have here, Ileda. Two outlanders, it seems, with the professor no less. What brings you into the wasted cadaver? We're looking for someone. Well, of course you are. What kind of hunter isn't at any time? But with a crew like this, must be special, am I right? This mark would stand out. Albino skin, jester hat, might have a young woman with him. Yes, old boy. Barely a woman with golden hair most likely looks distressed. He's medium height, so he might look a little tall to you. Oh, ha ha, right. A height joke. Very original, lass. If you were listening, I already beat you to it. When would this fella have come into town? No more than a day ago. Not long before we came into the city just now. Artag scratched his beard and thought. Mm, no, can't say I've seen or heard of him. You sure he's here? I may have seen him coming this way from Hosto. Well, I've been in the inn most of the last few days. I can't say I see much of the city anymore. It's not safe if you want to stay neutral. Neutral? Aye. Everyone is on a side these days. The two ducal houses and the king. It looks all fine and dandy on the surface. But, as per usual in the kingdoms, there's warfare beneath the pomp and politics. Warfare? 
It's a city, not a war zone. Nothing in the kingdoms is as it seems, Outlander. The ducal houses have been jockeying for power for decades now, and the city's underbelly is where all that tasty jockeying happens. The guard and knights are the kings, but his eyes are on expansion as always. His main army is away even now, fighting over a blasted hill. He underestimates the city's criminal element, and the regular folks here pay the price. Protection taxes, grifting, extortion, and worse. Play by their rules, pay their protection taxes, or they take you out of the game. Your leaders just let this happen? Amadi interjected, her voice bearing teeth. Sally responded. For centuries, everywhere in the kingdoms. So we're left in the middle to be part of it or victim of it. Amadi gave her a vicious look. No, there's another choice. A people can keep their leaders responsible for their own actions. I agree. Aye, we've had our fair share of revolutions too. Sometimes it comes from the gangs themselves. Just a replacement of one crown for another. But this time we have a full-fledged citizen uprising on our hands. They're collectively called the Fox, named after their leader, supposedly. I'm sure you saw the signs coming in. Between the king, the ducal houses, and their gangs, and the Fox, the city's a bubbling cauldron ready to spill over. The gangs leave the wasted cadaver because we work with the guild. And like everyone else, they're afraid of crossing that line. But it's only a matter of time before even that won't matter. Things looked fine out there. Look closely. Stay in the city for more than a few nights, and you'll see the signs, I'm sure. Just be careful after dark. Thanks, Artag. If you hear anything about AJ, let us know, okay? Hold there, lass. I like you, and I'm happy I've got the guild's protection. But a stay at the cadaver isn't as cheap as it once was. Particularly because you and your friends are going to attract a lot of attention. Oi! Sounds like we're being gouged! The guild pays for the muscle you saw guarding the place, but that's it. Keeping you and your charges safe has become harder than ever. This is the safest place in the city by reputation alone. But when that cauldron spills over, no one's going to avoid the flood. Higher prices mean insurance. I could hire more guards on my own, and worse comes to worse, our ticket out of the city. Don't worry, old boy. Between myself and the hunter here, we can pay any price. He reached into his jacket and took out a piece of iron similar to a coin. He flipped it casually to Aleda, who caught it. Upon inspection, she saw it bore a smudge of blood and the character's 10S and smidgen. The last she saw of this, she had tossed it at smidgen's ruined corpse. Wither continued, You drop that. Take Gafgorn with you to collect. Don't argue. Take credit for the kill. While you're doing that, Artag and I have other business to discuss, don't we, old boy? Ah, uh, I better pour myself a flagon for that bit. Elena, our business is sound. There are plenty of rooms available when you're ready to claim them. Thanks. Pocketing the piece of metal. We'll see you later. As Aleda rose to leave, the others followed suit. Gafgarn drained what was left of his tankard and nodded to Artag, who responded with a hefty grin. Then the group left to brave the city of Esthelring. Aleda led the group with an eager pace. After some time navigating the winding streets and narrow alleys, their troop came to a building of brick and mortar. A great bronze medallion, emblazoned with the arrowhead symbol of the guild, hung by chains above the entryway between two wood columns carved with spirals. Bold red tile decorated the angular swooping roof, which stretched out beyond the building's walls, creating broad eaves. A wooden fence extended to the left of the building, hiding a small courtyard, housing stables and a blacksmith. Elena entered through the building's arched doorway, the group trailing behind her. The interior of the building was spacious. A lounge stretched invitingly beyond an ascending stairway. Luxurious, stout armchairs were surrounded by walls populated with paintings of natural scenery, like snowy mountains and seasonal forests. Several polished weapons, 
blades still keen, sat on wooden placards and beautifully carved racks. Crystal decanters, their liquids of gold and brown sparkling from sunlight from high, narrow windows, rested on stout shelves. A counter ran along the entire back wall. In that wall were two doorways, one of which was a heavy metal affair. Aleda made her way in that direction, and the group followed. Gafgarn found himself mesmerized by the room. He was disappointed to find there was no hammer present, but each piece of weaponry was exquisite. Though hardly an artist, he found the paintings equally entrancing. Their depictions of natural vistas, particularly mountains, making him think of home. A grin graced his beleaguered features. He wandered in that space, appreciating its decor and its notable lack of dust, until he found a recliner lined with fur. So lost in his reverie was he, that he forgot himself and quickly eased into the chair, which promptly shot out from beneath him. Gafgarn hit the floor hard, then launched himself back onto his feet. He looked back at the chair with a grimace, then at his comrades, now waiting at the counter. Beyond it was a new body, a man in a leather vest and long-sleeved ruffled shirt, with a hand on the pommel of his blade and a very surprised look on his face. Gafgarn gave him a sneer as he rejoined the group, and the man relaxed with a shrug. Right, not too sure what that was about. Anyway, later. Yes, good to see you again. So soon. It's only been a few days. You got the scoundrel already? Yes, Baird, she said, slapping the bloodstained coin with Smidgen's name on the counter. Really? Well, story is, some giant from the east with a wolf cloak took the self-proclaimed bandit king out. Someone say like this big fella with the sitting issues? Barrett regarded Gafgarn with a grin. Gafgarn made to lean onto the counter threateningly, but then thought better of it and simply scowled. Word travels, doesn't it? <laughs> Don't fret, loss. Story is you were there too. Looks to me like you've been working together. Well, a kill in cooperation with others is still a kill for a hunter. Have you any proof? Head? Ear? Toe? Maybe skin one of those monstrous tattoos off him. Just these witnesses, all present during the act, except the lady in the robe. Amadi nodded her head at Barrett. Fine, the man sighed, then wrapped off a statement as if memorized by rote. Do all of ye swear under oath that a lady of the hawk have rights to claim this kill and pledge that your lives be forfeit to the guild's mercy should this vow be found untruthful? Gafgarn shared quizzical looks with Sully and Doran. A later motion for them to respond. Oi! Yes. Yeah. Good. Let me grab your reward. Barrett snatched up the coin, unperturbed by the crusted blood on it, and moved to the heavy metal door. He jingled a ring of keys as he unlocked the door. He entered beyond it into a small room and closed and locked the door behind him. A man with short, cropped blonde hair and a tailored beard approached the counter next to Aleda, nodding to her as he did. He wore a peculiar red outfit similar to Aleda's, with chain mail and plate pauldrons sewn into the fabric of his coat. Long time. Sounds like you bagged the bandit king. Harden. Yes, we did. Oh, with help? That's not surprising. You never were one to work alone. Aleda's body tensed briefly. I guess it's good someone finally took him out of the game. It's a shame he'll probably be replaced with some other egomaniac soon enough. But that's how we get paid, right? Aleda responded with a level stare. You always go big, don't you? Never the small marks. Heading out soon for the next big score? We'll be in town for a while now, actually. Leads on my next one say he's here. Oh, and who's that? You aren't going after one of the underbosses, are you? We all know what's going on in Ring, But that could be suicide. And if you're successful, you might bring the wrong type of notoriety to the guild. No, I'm not interested in the politics here. You're 
not still after the jester, are you? I might be. Arden put on a look of concern. You're gonna have to let that one go, Elena. So you can net the huge bounty on his head? You know why. It's been proven time and time again that we should never make a hunt personal. People slip up, make mistakes, take things too far. We all know what happened. Everyone wants a piece of him. But for you, this is too deep. The wound, too fresh. Elena grimaced at him. Sorry, he said, regarding her eye patch. I didn't mean that literally. Seriously, Elena. Enough. Yes, I'm still looking for him. And evidence thus far suggests he's in the city. Here? Yes, here. And I'm going to find him and kill him. Because of what he did? He deserves it, but... Because he's an animal that needs to be put down. We both know why you're after him. Revenge is just going to get you killed. Let me know if you hear anything, will you? Hardin gave a look of resignation and nodded. Barrett returned to the counter with a sack of coins, which Elena snatched up quickly. Thanks. See you later. The group left the building and into the street outside. Gafgarn placed a humongous hand on Alayda's shoulder to stop her walking. Revenge! It's none of your business. Just let me do my job. My people are relying on me to fix my problem. They need me before they're at each other's throats again. And peace or not, without my leadership, it's only a matter of time before my people or the kingdoms start another war. If this thing with AJ is personal, I don't have a problem with that. I just need to know you won't screw this up. It's personal to you, too. Not like you. On that bridge in Hosto, he got the better of you with a piece of wood. You let your guard down. On the road, you didn't seem to have any problems taking out the whole crew of bandits. Your friend back there might have a point. I'm fine. AJ, he took your eye, didn't he? Alayda raised up on her toes and poked a solid finger into Gafgarn's chest as she spoke. Ask me again and I'll smack that cloak right off your head. I don't care how big and tough you think you are. I'm going to find some leads. We should split up and canvas the city. Don't follow me. I'll see you tonight at the cadaver. With that, Alayda turned into the crowd of city folk and stormed off. So, what do we do now? Uh, oi, have we done enough talking and traipsing yet? Gafgarn looked at Amadi, who seemed unconcerned and remarked. You've been pretty quiet. She smiled. I'm new to these lands. To you. I preferred to observe and listen. You're a curious group. Right. So, what are you going to do? I haven't really thought about that yet. This has all been so intriguing. I know next to nothing about the kingdoms. Well, I think I'd like to get familiar with the area. If we're going to find AJ, that'll help. That might benefit me as well, though I can't stay in the city for long. We might be here a while. Maybe you should move on. Sully said with a hint of scorn in her voice. Gafgarn's eyebrows danced in surprise like tumbling acrobats. I'm curious about this AJ and the Taken girl. I'd like to help, and seeing as a free room waits for me, if I do, I'll work with you for the time being. But I'll explore the city on my own for now. Going to wander some more? That reminds me, before you said you were just a wanderer, Wither said you've come a long way, and I've never heard of your Doru. Why are you in the kingdoms? A pilgrimage you could say, to learn, to exact justice when I can. You just walking around, taking notes and whooping arse just for funnies? <laughs> Something like that. The whooping arse is my duty. Evil in all its forms is the prey of the benai fondwa. Big-eyed fartwad! <laughs> Amadi stifled his amusement with a stony look. Benai fondwa. My order. 
We ensure the injustices I've seen today never happen in Eudoru. And they don't. So, you're like the city guard of your people? Much more. But enough! We waste daylight. I'll keep my eyes open for this pale joker. Amadi adjusted her hat slightly and nodded to her three comrades before joining the stream of bodies flowing through the street. Gafgarn watched her hat bounce in the crowd before turning to Sully, growling. What's your problem, Sully? She crossed her arms and met his fierce gaze. You really believe that, Lode? Aye, Gaff. Her story is as clean as a latrine. I wouldn't buy that tribe if it was free. I know she's hiding something, but what I meant was your attitude. Sully looked at the ground, sullen. She thinks everything's so simple. Not everyone gets to choose their life. You mean what she said about the orphans? They didn't get a chance to choose. It's not their fault if they turn to crime, if that's all they have. Amadi thinks she's so much better than everyone else. Like, life's so simple. She'd sooner kill Dorn and me if she knew we were bandits only days ago. You're right. She would. She would try. I'm your boss, remember? Thanks, boss. She just... She just really got to me. No one's going to look out for those kids, not in the way they should be anyway. They stay in the church, brainwashed and afraid, or they leave and fend for themselves. She talks like she doesn't even care what that's like. Sounds like you do. Sully kicked lightly at a loose rock and nodded her head. He placed a hefty paw on her shoulder and continued. Don't worry about her, though. She is right about one thing. We don't have time for excuses. Your past is yours, but I need you now to do your job and do it well. So let's get moving and find this bastard with my gauntlets. Sully nodded, and the three moved into the crowd. No one noticed the two figures huddled in the shadows of a nearby alley. They watched Gafgarn, Doran, and Sully with eager eyes. You, follow them. I'll tell them, madam, they're here. That's the one she wants, right? Yep, big wolf cloak. A not-from-around-here look. Couldn't be anyone else. I'll tell them. That crazy comedian will be interested, too. Looks like we'll all be having some fun tonight. Catch up with you later. The speaker trotted down the alley, while the other moved into the crowd in Gafgarn's direction. No one noticed another body move from a different alley into the crowd on that same street either. In the street, passing townfolk gave curious glances at his white clothes with asymmetrical, intricate, colorful designs, his wooden, stilt-like flat shoes, and his wide-brimmed, woven flat hat. Many of those townsfolk swore they had just seen a woman dressed just like him pass only moments ago. The late afternoon in Ring is an active one. Stores and wheeled streets, stalls, selling crops, clothing, and tools were closing down. Canopies were folded, doors shut, and signs placed up indicating proudly that business was done for the day. Merchants piled wares on wagons or barrows headed back out of the city to storage sheds or warehouses. Some stores remained open, their owners tidying up, busking or yawning over counters. Many blacksmiths and armorers began cooling their fires, but still the sound of hammers on steel rang in many quarters. A flat, wide-brimmed hat bobbed through those streets. The woman underneath watched the activity around her with serene curiosity. Her right arm was braced against her body, held up with a sling made by tying a simple colorful cloth with zigzagged striped patterns of green, red, yellow, and black. A withered, limp hand hung from it. 
just peeking out of a wide sleeve. Her other hand rested on the long, slender hilt of a slim, sheathed blade. Amadi noted the architecture, the wood, thatch, and stone of the buildings around her, and the elegant, if ostentatious, erections on the hills above. She found it all boring and unimaginative, from every drab plank to each plain piece of clothing. The only things she admired were the gardens on the hills above, though she thought it unfortunate that such colorful amalgamations of nature be restricted to the estates. Was there no beauty in the commoner's life in the kingdoms? The lack of balance was disturbing. Suddenly, a heavenly scent distracted her from the distaste in her mind, and she followed that old factory boon to a small wooden stall on the street, little more than a cart with a canopy and stools for sitting. An older man tended to a small stove, boiling water in a simple metal teapot. Another steaming pot sat on a fold-out counter. Amadi sat on a stool, and the man placed an inelegant wooden cup before her. He poured the fragrant liquid into her cup, his thin hands shaking with the tremors of age. Six coppers! Amadi paid him the few measly coppers she carried, tasted the tea, and immediately thought she had misheard his price. It was far too good to cost so little. Sure, it lacked the spice of the tea in Yodoru, but it was heady and smooth. She was glad for its warmth when the sight of the person sitting down next to her shot rivers of ice down her spine. The balance keeps you. Took you long enough to find me. The man tilted his wide-brimmed hat up, revealing a face of sculpted mahogany, and said, Time spent convincing Ordu to let me talk to you before you're hunted and killed. Maybe you could admit, it's time well spent. You surprise me again. Here I thought you had chosen a side. Stop this. Change is inevitable. Even the mightiest of stones warp in the rivers of time. Ordu leads the Benai Fandwa on a new path, a righteous one. You know it as truth. In your heart, I know you do. My heart knows only one truth. We tend to peace, protect our people, and lay siege to corruption and evil where it roots in Eudoru. In Eudoru, Order's war on the world is nothing like what the Benai Fandwa have come to stand for. We are the defenders of peace, of balance. We are not warmongers. Now we protect it by seeking war. Tell me. What do you see in this lowly city? Fairness and rule? Justice for those who can't exact it themselves? Where is the balance? Amadi thought for a moment, watching a pair of sickly-looking hounds cross the street, then nodded. What I see disgusts me, but it does not give us the right. Excuse me? It gives us all the right. You will know this is true when you see the depths of depravity these kingdoms reach. Left alone, the people of these lands will continue to suffer. We introduce the Benai Fandwa to the kingdoms. We bring them peace, justice, balance. And only at the edge of our blades. Hmm. Yes, that's how it's always been. Don't be so naive. The balance of Yodoru is a product of our blades. It is born of them and all the blood they've drawn. Bringing it to the world will require more blood. I'm not naive. It's you and the rest of your traitors that have forgotten our tenants and discipline. Centuries ago, we revolted against a corrupt dynasty that sought to use our strength for war. For their gain, at the expense of the Benai Fandwa and the Yodoru people. And our strength lies in our tenets, to never wage war. In the name of another. It says nothing about waging war in the name of the Benai Fandwa. Um, excuse me? What Ordu wants is power, plain and simple. 
That runs against everything we are. Kylan swept an arm wide, indicating all around them and spoke. This runs against everything we are. Children in the streets, corrupt rulers ignoring their people's suffering, rampant crime. Do you not see the great evil that afflicts these kingdoms? Yeah, I suppose it's all kind of crappy. And how much have you seen exactly? Enough to know Odudu's words ring true. Imagine this city with the Benai Fandwa. The peace these people would know. The justice done. We can share what we have in Yodoru with the world. It may very well be our purpose as Odudu suggests. The wise Aru watches the whole of our world Ahuna, not just Yodoru. Balanced on the fulcrum of his talon, waiting for the day it plummets into the chaos of the underworld Morodai. The Banai Fandwa keeps the balance in Yodoru, but Odudu is right. That is not enough. The whole of the world must be balanced to prevent its end. Odd how you explained a lot of what you were saying while you were saying it. I'm sure she knows what all those things are. I will not take the suggestion of that treacherous murderer. There's still no proof that he's done anything of the sort. Your word against his, and it's your words that split our order apart. It's your words and insistence that causes those still loyal to hunt you and other dissenters down. She placed her tea on the counter, savoring its aroma. If you're going to try to kill me, I suggest you get it over with. Please don't do that here. Ah, and imagine we used to be friends. I would rather you join us, or do welcomes our lost warriors back. It is not I who is lost, Kailen. He shook his head in frustration. Fine. Ordu comes for you, personally. I've bought you a few days to think about this discussion. That's all the time you'll need to witness the evil here yourself. Then we'll find you, and you can make your final decision. Could you, uh, buy some tea before you invade? That'd be nice. Amadi nodded at Kailen and made to leave. By the way, I wasn't the only pair of eyes stalking you and your new friends. You want to learn how depraved the kingdoms are? Start by seeking out your comrades. And watch your back. If they're from here, who's to say they're any better than the rest of these scum? Amadi's grip on her hilt tightened as she sped down the street, her eyes scanning for a giant wearing a wolf head cloak. Hours later, deep in Ethelring, Gafgarn, Sully, and Dorn were making their way back to the wasted cadaver. They explored as deep as the city's central square, a large stone courtyard surrounded by twisting columns, fashioned like tentacles. In its center stood a tall, frightening nightmare. A creature reaching upward with six clawed arms and a muscular torso, not unlike a man's. Its lower half was a long, bulbous affair coiling about itself, teeming with hundreds of vine-like tentacles. Its head, little more than a lump between its shoulders, bore a hive of empty mouth-like fissures. On its pedestal, read Nashul. Beyond it lay a church, much like the one in Hosto, albeit several times larger, Gafgarn's revulsion ensured they hadn't stayed long. Making their way back, unsure how they would find any sign of the jester in a city so large, Gafgarn watched businesses close in the pink and orange hues of the setting sun. He noticed pairs of armed, shifty-eyed people moving from store to store, collecting sums of coin into small lockboxes they carried like satchels at their waist. The hint of fear was evident on each merchant's face as the pairs came around. Many guards walking the street seemed not to notice, or coyly pretending there was something strikingly more interesting in another direction. Before Gafgarn could comment, he caught the sight of something that made him completely forget about the shady dealings around him. A jester hat of red, black, and silver bounced down the street. He only just saw it turn a corner 
its wearer in a high-collared jacket that hit his face. Gafgarn shot down the street, surprising his companions who hurried to catch up. What's the deal, Gaff? Quiet! Gafgarn commanded as he neared the corner of a building. I think I just saw AJ. He poked his head around the corner and saw that hat trotting down the street. Gafgarn made to follow. Shouldn't we get the others? The cadaver's not too far off from here. No, I don't want to lose him. We take him now. They followed him through the streets, then a network of alleys, careful to keep out of sight. The jester never looked behind him and now relaxedly walked into a narrow pathway between two large buildings. Gafgarn, Sully, and Doran gingerly but quickly followed. The narrow path led to a small, dusty courtyard surrounded by fences and tall buildings. The other narrow alleys leading out from its corners. At the opposite end from Gafgarn stood a shabby shed that looked like it could barely hold the single occupant sitting on its roof, his legs dangling over its edge. He hung his head low, hiding his face behind that jester hat. Between them, scattered about the dingy yard of dead grass and dirt, were chairs, benches, ottomans, beds, stools, and other furniture in various stages of disrepair. This be a trap? Of course it is. Then shouldn't we turn around and leave? No, they're already behind us. <laughs> That's not exactly a problem for you, though. Neither is what's ahead of us. Gafgarn hefted his hammer in one hand and pointed a meaty finger at the figure sitting before him. I want my gauntlets! The jester raised his head to reveal typical fair skin and blue eyes. He smiled at them as he nonchalantly swung his feet. Boss, I don't like the look of this. Be ready. That might not be AJ. But whoever these punks are, they know we're after him. So they know where he is, which means I've got some skulls to crack. Who'd want to protect that crazy bastard? At that, the imposter AJ shrugged, and a tall woman entered the courtyard to stand next to the shed. The half of her head that wasn't shaven bore long, silky black hair. She wore an elegant pink jacket lined with fur that descended to her leather boots laced up to her knees. She raised a long, elegant pipe to her rosy lips and placed the other hand on her hip, her stance revealing the tiny leather shorts and corset burdened by a heavy bust underneath her jacket. The handle of a coiled whip at her waist might go unnoticed in comparison to her thick, corded musculature. Tattoos of blue and purple hearts decorated her neck and collarbone at the same side as her shaven scalp. She smiled, revealing pearly teeth. That hat? I want the man it belongs to. I'm guessing you know him. Well, you're not too polite, are you? You brought me here to be polite? No. Taking another drag from her pipe. I brought you here to die. Mm. And why is that? You killed my ex-husband. Smidgen, I'm guessing. I'm surprised you care so much about him, if he was an ex. I don't. But I was supposed to kill him. And you are? You can call me madam. Well, madam, I suggest if you want someone dead, you pick up the pace next time. Thanks for the advice. The courtyard flooded with armed men and women from each entryway. Some vaulted over the fences, daggers and blades in hand. They were all tough-looking, many with studded leather armor and peculiar small metal spikes protruding from shoulder pads and bracelets. Without hesitation, they threw themselves at the trio. A dagger flew at Gafgar, but the giant was already moving, ducking beneath it and sweeping a duo aside with his hammer. He swung his hammer down in an arc to squish another attacker into the dirt. 
then propped himself up with the weapon to block a sword strike with one foot and cave in a face with another. Back on his feet, he blocked and dodged several attacks, pedaling backward until he lost his footing and his rump fell into a seat of a heavy-looking chair. Sully, back to back! Sully and Doran again found themselves back to back, fending off a handful of killers. Sully, over here! Most of the gang around them focused their efforts towards Gafgarn. Those harassing Sully and Doran, applying enough pressure to keep them busy. They just keep coming! On the defense, they found they were unable to move until a large chair skidded along the ground, knocking two belligerents to the floor. Sully! Sully and Doran cut through the opening and made it to Gafgarn, who was sitting on the ground, hoisting his hammer into a chin. Gafgarn hoisted himself up into a flying kick to his gut, which sent him bowling into a bench. As he tripped backwards over it, he was launched sliding on the ground just as a hatchet chopped down into the bench. As he slid, he awkwardly swung his hammer, taking out ankles and shins. Then he used the momentum to roll over his head onto his feet and rose swinging. Sully and Doran kept enemies at bay in Gafgarn's destructive wake. Sully, over here! Towering over the heads of the gang around him, Gafgarn could already see the crowded courtyard growing more sparse. The attackers became more hesitant and careful in approaching the behemoth. Still, he found himself surrounded. Behind him, a woman swung a chair, which shot out of her hands into another attacker, looking to cleave Gafgarn's arm from his shoulder. Gafgarn turned and kicked out, knocking the woman into several behind her. He used the opening to charge through them, then leapt up onto a filthy couch as the gang pressed behind. It threw him up into the air as a throwing axe grazed the bottom of his boots, throwing sparks. Flying over where he had just come, he used his hammer to cull the group below, knocking them into a pile. He landed on his feet by Sully and Doran, who were looking dumbfounded and feeling useless. As Gafgarn raised his hammer above the groaning pile of assailants, the crack of a whip shuddered through the courtyard. What gives? The mighty hammer was stuck over Gafgarn's head. Madame's whip wrapped around its head like a dead leathery vine. <laughs> Her pink jacket in the hands of the jester had an imposter. She stood pulling the whip with both hands, smiling with naked arms bulging. <laughs> Sully and Doran took up positions behind him, their blades flashing in the fading light as they began trading blows once more. A fresh assault began, causing Sully and Doran to struggle. Some attackers made their way around the defense, flanking Gafgarn from the side. You two, hold your ground! He was quick to react, Look at this, Sully. charging to the left while tugging on his hammer, slamming into a surprise gangster with his shoulder. Oh. Madame began sliding towards Gafgarn, losing her footing. So she wrapped more of the whip around her forearms and pulled. <sighs> Using her renewed effort as momentum, Gafgarn charged to his right, flinging himself into the air. Down! Sully and Doran hit the floor just as Gafgarn flashed over them. He swung feet first into a small crowd, his boots crushing a ribcage and sending the group sprawling. Strike! Now on his belly, Madame was dragging him towards her until he got his legs ahead of him and began pulling back. They found themselves in another stalemate. Sully, Sully and Doran struggled to keep the remaining gang members from cutting up Gafgarn from behind. Sully received a cut to her waist and returned the wound in kind. Doran parried and hopped between two attackers, barely keeping up. Oi! Just as they were losing control, screams from the rear of the group erupted. Samurai! A thin, long blade was flashing through the courtyard, wielded by none other than Amadi. She struck like a storm, 
each flick of her sword a lightning strike, causing the assault to disperse enough that she could reach Sully and Doran. The three stood with blades ready, awaiting the next attack. Suddenly, the whip snapped. Madame fell into the fence behind her, and Gafgarn spun, swinging his hammer into the unlucky face of an assailant with an upraised sword. Where the whip broke, the shaft of an arrow stuck up from the ground. Madame looked to the roof of a building to see a shadowy figure in a cowl with a bow in hand, quickly knocking another arrow. Vanji, he's mine. Not if I kill him first, you witch. The figure let another arrow fly towards Gafgarn. He grabbed an attacker by the throat and used her body to catch the lethal missile. Throwing the body aside, he motioned for Sully, Doran, and Amadi to take cover behind a fence with him. Follow Gaffy! The gang in the courtyard froze, unsure whether to take the wolf-cloaked giant or move to Madame's aid. You little horror told you if I ever saw you in my district, I'd rip your limb from limb. <laughs> Jesus, you still all torn up about the whole thing with Smidgen? Well, just let it go. And let me gut this big guy already. You and your crew seem to be having a hard time of it. An arrow plunked into the fence by Gafgarn. Sully took the opportunity to bring up an important point. Boss, we should go while they're distracted. No, not until we learn where AJ is. This is getting complicated. We need to go now while this gang is distracted. You call me by my professional name, you slut. I'll call you whatever I want, hag. Now let me have my revenge and you can go back to running your gang or whatever. Ursula hurled two throwing knives towards Vanji, who somersaulted to avoid them. I'm getting revenge, Vanji. Don't you have someone to assassinate? Hmm? A contract or something for your duke? Stick to your career criminality and butt out of my business. How about you stick to your shenanigans and let me have my fun? Last time you had anything of mine, it was my husband, skank. I didn't let you have it then, and I won't let you have this one now, so get lost or get down here so I can tear you apart. The clamor of armored boots echoed from several of the alleys. Where's the guard? Everyone out! I'm going to have that captain's head. We paid him off this week. Men in steel armor burst into the courtyard, brandishing swords and shackles. Some of the surviving gang were quickly apprehended, though most of the able-bodied type were quick to escape. Ursula and the jester had disappeared, as well as the woman on the roof. Gafgarn, Sully, Doran, and Amadi were left to be surrounded. Drop your weapons or be killed. Gafgarn gripped his hammer tightly, thinking he could break through the line and give chase after Ursula. Gafgarn looked to Amadi, who sheathed her blade. I will not harm those charged to protect the innocent. Sully placed a hand on Gafgarn's arm and shook her head. He knew full well he couldn't afford to start a war with the city itself. He dropped his mallet, and the guards closed in with their shackles. You're popular with the ladies, eh, Gaff? Shut up. The guards hustled their prisoners into a nearby station meant for temporary holding, into dark jail cells of iron bars. <laughs> Is this mean what engaged? There were no windows. The only light, a flickering, dim torch on the wall just down the hall. Gafgarn, Sully, Doran, and Amadi were brought to a cell together. A bench lined the rear wall of stone, and a bucket crusted with the detritus of the previous tenant lay on its side in a corner. The guards violently shoved Doran and Sully in. Oi! I thought they'd take me out to dinner first! Then, ever more cautiously, coaxed Gafgarn in at the end of the impolite points of their blades and spears. <clears throat> he begrudgingly obeyed, the scars on his face practically bearing their own teeth at the sentinels. The heavy gate slammed and locked behind him.
the guards left. The incredible dust of the space did nothing for Gafgarn's mood. Sully stood looking grim while Dorn poked a foot at the filthy acrid bucket. What are we going to do now, boss? We aren't getting out of here. Not much I can do about stone and iron. Gaff, why not use the bench here to launch you at the gate? If I had my hammer, maybe. No good busting that down if my body is broken afterward. What if you hit the door with your boots? They're pretty tough. They might do something if you don't break your legs. Fine. Better than waiting for the headsman. Through a series of pitiful attempts, the three found that they would not, in fact, be busting any iron gate down. First, Gafgarn tried launching himself from the bench by sitting on it. He slipped off in different directions or flipped off of it onto the floor. Then he tried running, using what little space they had to pick up speed and jumping on it. This resulted in launching him into the wall or the ceiling at odd angles. Finally, Dorn and Sully tried using their strength and weight to push Gafgarn down onto the bench before releasing him. After bowling into his subordinates a few times, he finally flew directly at the locked bars. He brought his feet up in front of him, just in time to kick out at the metal. Though they thundered and shook as he crumpled onto the floor, the only difference he made was in shaking off flakes of rust. Gafgarn rose, dusting himself off and stretching his now sore limbs. Amadi looked on with an incredulous expression. Sorry, boss, it was worth a try. I guess we are just waiting for the headsman. An unearing chortle slithered across the hall. <laughs> a familiar voice followed. <laughs> You'll do the headsman's job, you keep at it like that. Gafgarn peered into the opposite jail cell, where in the weak light he could barely make out a figure sitting cross-legged on the floor. As it leaned forward, still chuckling, small shining bells came into view, dangling at the end of red, black, and silver striped tendrils extending from a patchy hat. Beneath that hat, red eyes, a pale face, and a viciously delighted grin greeted Gafgarn like a hungry spectre. Nice to see you again, Wolfbutt. Gafgarn wrapped a massive fist around a bar, gripping it tightly. He imagined it was AJ's neck. Oi, Gaff, it's the jester! AJ placed his hands on his cheeks and feigned surprise. Oh, shocks! Your dog sniffed me out. Count yourself lucky you're in a cage. How'd you get locked up? It's sweet you're concerned, but I'm here by choice. <laughs> How could I miss on such a great opportunity for us to get to know each other? Oi, your nuts can get to know my foot! I like your spunk, dog. I wonder if it'll last if you are under the edge of a knife. We'll find out one day. I'm sure. For now, I'm talking to the wolf, not you, so pipe down. The dim torchlight cast wavering shadows on AJ's face as he grinned at Gafgarn. We've a relationship to catch up on. Who is this fool? We're in a prison, and he talks about relationships. You choose a great time to come into town, one arm. Hope you're ready for a good show. We? What do you mean, we? Right, right, us. We've got a great thing going now. We need to nurture it. So, what's this thing we've got? A competitive partnership, a connection. I'm concerned, though. Those bars can't be good for your health. Can't be good for yours, either. I won't be behind them for long. You've walked into a pit of snakes, Gaffy. This city's going to eat you alive if you aren't careful. <laughs> Everyone thinks they're on top. None of them realize they're in the same hole, slithering over one another. 
Regardless of who wins, they're still stuck and still snakes. And you're not? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm here to bury that pit. I'm going to bring it down on top of them. But it'd be a shame if you got caught in it all. I just want to make sure you're ready for the collapse. You took the opportunity away from me at Smidgen's camp. But I think Estherling is going to be so much more fun. What were you going to do? Whatever I wanted, dog. AJ viewed Sully with amusement, then returned to the giant. Did you like our little game back in Hosto? That wasn't a game, clown. It was murder and chaos and annoying. <laughs> oh, come now, Gaffy. Don't act like you cared about any of those people. We have a moment to talk. Let's at least be honest with each other. You've got to have one funny bone in that gargantuan heap of yours, right? Did you get the joke? I get you figured out I'm cursed. So you killed people to make that point. Fun, right? Especially the fat man. That one got way too comfortable with his position. Am I right? The walls, the quiet town, surrounded by loyal lowlifes. Lots of good that did in the end. At least I know you won't get so comfortable anytime soon. <laughs> Enough! The gauntlets! Where are they? AJ sighed as he rose to his feet and approached the bars. Now I'm disappointed. You're rushing things. I'm trying to make a connection here, and you're all business. We're going to be part of each other's lives for some time now. You really don't want to get to know me better? I know all I need to know about you. You've got something I need. <laughs> and you have no idea why you need them. And you know? Well, more than you. I know those shiny shoes of yours are something the kingdoms haven't had a whiff of in centuries. Maybe millennia. Now that's interesting. Fascinating. Your mustachioed friend might say. Something like this comes along, something that changes all the rules. Now that's something I've just got to be a part of. What are they then? I said we should be honest. Doesn't mean I'm going to bear all. Gotta tease you a bit. Besides, I haven't quite figured it out yet. But I know you need the gauntlets. And before you ask, they're with the girl. Say, what did the professor tell you about little sis? That you kidnapped her. I'll help him save her. He helps you get back to sitting on chairs. Really? That's it? Well, little Blondie's got so much more going on than all that. Maybe you should ask the good doctor. After all, Wither's a fast friend, right? Someone who considers you an ally rather than a research subject. Or are you all just a means to an end for each other? I don't care. As long as they help me, wring your neck. Suit yourself, Wolfbutt. It amounts to the same thing for me. We're going to have a ton of fun. <laughs> now that we've gotten started, we're going to burn down this city together. I'm not helping you do anything. I'm not asking, Gaffy. Fire's already started, and this city's kindling. Don't worry, though. You'll get your gauntlets after you've played along. And that's just the beginning. You and I are going to play the greatest game in the history of the kingdoms. If I'm right, Maybe the greatest the world's ever known. Light footsteps echoed from the hall. Suddenly a cloaked figure emerged around the corner and shot for AJ's cell. In a moment, it unlocked the door, then moved down the line, opening the others that contained any of Ursula's gangsters. They all crept back into the dark hall, some giving AJ funny looks as he watched. 
That's my cue, he said as he smugly walked out of his cell, a bounce in his step. Great chat! We'll have another one real soon. Just stay alive for me until then, okay, wolf butt? Then he disappeared down the hall, leaving Gafgard and his friends with the fainting remnants of a deep-throated, vicious cackle. <laughs> Leda was annoyed. She had spent the afternoon and evening wandering Esterling, poking her head into every tavern and inn, inquiring with barkeeps and eavesdropping on their patrons' conversations, sifting through everything she saw and heard for some clues as to AJ's whereabouts. She learned only how powerless and afraid most folks felt in the oppressive shadows of the keeps above, where the crooked rule the streets. No one said a thing about her uniquely adorned albino, but dissidents plagued the city folk like a timid bloodlust which pacified whenever toughs carrying lockboxes entered a room. After collecting their booty from an innkeeper, maybe roughing up an unfortunate who spoke a bit too freely about putting the gangs in their place, the gangsters would leave and the whispers of revolt would continue. The fox was on everyone's mind. It was time for change, but none had the courage to get up and make it happen. Not alone. So Elena was annoyed as she made her way back to the wasted cadaver. Day one and Estherling appeared fruitless, like Hosto, where she had come so close to capturing her quarry. She chewed her lip as she marched, punished by her thoughts about her failure. She was angry at Gafgarn for doubting her. But he was right about one thing. AJ shouldn't have gotten the best of her, especially with a piece of wood. She needed to focus, find a lead, take the villain down with the tenacity precision, and professionalism she was known for. Hardin and Gafgarn were wrong. She wouldn't let that past distract her. AJ was as good as hers. It couldn't be anyone else to bring him down. The hawk would have her rat. Her thoughts wandered like this while she walked. Though tired, she maintained the watchfulness she had become known for, unconsciously scanning for anything out of the ordinary. Finally, she caught movement out of the corner of her eye. She followed it down a poorly kept street of equal parts stone and mud to a rotting fence. Through its gate rested a theater, little more than a raised platform in front of a few rows of dirty benches. Overgrowth of sad shrubs and tangled vines crowded the space. AJ sat on the edge of the platform, gawking at Aleda as if he'd been waiting for an old friend. Hey, Cyclops! Aleda drew her sword and made to charge him. He tilted his neck and scratched, revealing a spiked leather bracelet. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Other forms sidled forward in space around them, a group of tough-looking gangsters brandishing weapons. Many exuded evidence they had just been in a scuffle, like scratches, bruises, and torn clothing. Venom dripped from Aleda's words as she spoke. What's this? You were never one to play nice with others. Well, even I get lonely. The madam's hustlers seemed like a fun bunch. I figured I'd stick around for a while. Elena tightened her grip on her blade and swung her shield onto her arm, every muscle in her body begging to cut the man's head off. For now, she stayed her hand, the number of thugs crawling out of the dark increasing by the moment. You think they'll protect you from me? I think you won't risk a turf war with the madam. Take me out, 
The Hunter's Guild might find Estherling more unwelcome than usual. And risk her entire mob becoming a mark. The Duchess wouldn't line her pockets or help keep the guard away. She'd be finished. Don't think she's too concerned. Didn't you hear? The Wolf Cloak Wanderer is in town. Rumor is, Wolfbutt killed the self-proclaimed Bandit King. Some say he and the Madam have a past. I wonder how she feels about what happened. Fierce lady like that, in the state she could be in if that were all true, might not care about unwritten rules pertaining to the Guild. Royal benefactor be damned. She might do whatever it takes to gut the man who gutted hers. What did you do, freak? Lit a fire under the bull's balls. You have to see for yourself. A thug leaned in close to AJ and said, Madame told us to keep you safe, but you're pushing it, clown. Ease up. AJ grabbed the man by the face and shoved him away. I'll ease that tongue out of your mouth. You touch me again. Let me have my fun, will you? Where's the girl? Dead. Did you forget your snookums already? Aleda took a step forward. The other bodies in the yard did the same. Oh, right. You meant the professor's sweet sister. Relax. She's fine. Got her own bunk and everything. And the madam isn't even putting her to use in one of her brothels. I'm working hard here. And she's getting free lodging. Sitting pretty, I'd say. With the madam, then. Silly of you to let that slip. The professor will be happy to know that. To do what? Bring his wrath down on us? One move and I'll have her on the street with one less heart. Worse, I'll sell her to the madam. You'll see her when I want you to see her. Until then, I have other things to keep you busy. The odds in the yard became oppressive, the thugs threatening to cut off her retreat. With pained movements, she began to back away. Before you go, I've always wondered, did you keep that spoon? Carry it around with you on your belt so you could scoop my eye out with it? She grimaced at him, tightened her grip on her blade. No. I know you didn't. You're not the sentimental type. Not anymore, anyway. Can't say for myself, though. Great memento. How could I let this go? After you showed me what you're willing to do to save your cute, sexy squeeze, I just had to keep it. Ha! Your girl squirmed and screamed while you did it. But she behaved like I knew she would. Don't do it, she said. Don't worry about me. Just kill him. She was right, though, wasn't she? You'd have been better off if you had just charged me and let her die. At least it would have been a better trade. Lose her for me? Instead, you've lost her, and you've got that nifty patch over your peeper. You sick bastard. I'm going to make sure I catch you alive so I can... I think that's enough. A familiar voice announced behind her. Hardin emerged from the shadows to place a firm hand on her shoulder. His other hand pointed a long, thin rapier at the crowd. Its handguard was a winding silver rose bush with rubies of flowers. Unless you snakes are going to do something, this conversation is over. You can slither back to the stinking mire you came from. I suppose we've had a busy night. You seem tense, Aleda. Make sure to rest up. Harden, we can kill him. We can stop him now. We both know how bad that would be. You do more damage than good. I promise you'll get your chance. But now is not the time. Let's go. AJ's fingers danced in a drunken, mocking wave. With Hardin's help, Aleda backpedaled out of the theater. She allowed Hardin to lead her through the city, while her mind raced with vile punishments to meet upon the villain. 
Her knuckles whitened on the hilt of her blade until it hurt as much as her heart did. <laughs> Meanwhile, Gafgarn, Sully, Doran, and Amadi remained stuck in their dreary jail cell, accompanied only by dancing shadows from dim, flickering torches. A morose Sully leaned in a corner, staring at the ceiling. Doran lay on a bench, whistling a horribly out-of-tune melody. Amadi stood in the center of the cell, looking disdainfully about while she massaged her crippled arm. Gafgarn hadn't left the crusty, dusty bars. His immense fists still wrapped around them like the ropes of a noose. A noose he imagines was coiled around AJ's neck. Amadi cut the oppressive silence with a sharp edge of her voice. What sort of foulness are you into, giant? Gafgarn responded with a simple turn of his bulk. Doran answered for him with a crooked grin. Only the best kind, lass! Not even a night in this city, and it already threatens to swallow you whole. Already we find ourselves beset by villains. Furniture seems to avoid you as if alive. Now that thing in the cell across from us speaks to you in riddles. He's the one we're looking for, remember? The one out on the road with the girl. Yes, I remember. He's the one I saw. He's insane. He's a dead man. As it should be. But why is he so fixated on you? Something about the curse. Curse? The boots. Furniture. Isn't that obvious? How is that possible? I saw it with my own eyes, but it's just ridiculous. If one could make magic, why do that? Understand it or not, it's happening. This game he plays? Sully cut in again. He knows something we don't. He stole the pair of gauntlets that match these boots. So what happens when you get them? No idea. Well, it's all we got to go on. It sounds like the madman has big plans. Something evil. She let out a sigh, shaking her head. What do we do now? Nothing. Only the crackling of dying torches interrupted the quiet that enveloped the room, which made it that much more surprising when a group of shadowy cloaked figures sidled up to the bars and deftly unlocked them. The iron door swung outward in a screech as the figures nodded behind masks for Gafgarn to follow. For the lockup, there sure is a lot of traffic, eh, Gaff? Very curious. We go. The figures slunked and skulked, quick to usher their wards through the halls. The newly released captives kept low and quiet, except for Gafgarn, who walked tall and resolute. Down corridors they crept to the rear of the building where a heavy door awaited. One of the cloaked cadre eased the portal open. After a short look into the abyss beyond, the figure motioned for all to follow. I'm not leaving without... A shadowed figure placed his hammer in his hand, then returned weapons to the others. Right. The figure at the door nodded, then led them out. Noiselessly, they sped into a small yard, passing dark, formless masses. The cloaked rescuers moved with familiarity, surrounding their wards and ushering them forward through a gate into an inky nebulous city. All deftly wound through shadowy streets and alleyways, slowing only to allow a torch-bearing procession of robe revelers to pass along a curving boulevard. Gafgarn counted at least a score of black-robed figures, one in the center of them with additional silver trim and an assortment of necklaces. He recalled the priests and first tentacle in Hosto. Several carried poles with banners depicting the odd creature he had seen earlier in the square. Neshul, the plaque had read. A cloud of incense wafted from them, 
burning in golden thuribles, swinging from golden chains. Was it normal for them to praise their monstrous deity so late in the night, he wondered. The kingdoms proved stranger every day. After the procession passed, leaving a pit of darkness, the escapees crossed and continued, finally coming to a dead end between rickety-looking shapes. Two of the cloaked figures moved stones from the ground. They reached down and pulled on something until the soft squeak of a metal hinge revealed a trapdoor. Underneath rested a pitch-black nothing that the leading figure jumped into. The figures behind began shoving the group in. The darkness opened into a shallow tunnel so tiny that most needed to crouch and shuffle through it. Gafgarn had to crawl. They followed it down a comfortable decline until it opened up enough for all to stand. Gafgarn still had to hunch. After some time winding through pitch blackness, through multiple corners and curves, candlelight revealed an intersection in an unearthened tunnel. Gafgarn was convinced some of the turns were for show, to make it harder for his group to retrace their steps or find their way through on their own. Amadi sensed this ruse as well. Dorn and Sully were sure of only one thing. They had no idea where they were. At the candles, the leading hood made a sharp right, and the others quickly blocked the other passageways and motioned for the group to follow. After another long bit of confusing winding, they entered a larger chamber lit with several oil lanterns. The cloaked rescuers moved to rest in the shadows of other pathways leading out. This left the group facing a single desk, empty except for a quill pen resting in its well. Seated at this desk was a man that radiated graciousness and welcoming. He was fair-skinned, with a dark ponytail and a luxurious goatee and mustache. He wore a ruffled shirt with an unbuttoned collar under a reddish embroidered long coat that would have been considered impressive if it wasn't so weathered and raggedy. A simple wooden-handled spear rested against the wall behind him. He leaned back in his chair, put his legs up on the desk, opened his arms wide and said in a smooth, friendly voice, Welcome, my friends. Please come into my office. Make yourselves comfortable. Gafgarn stepped forward and felt a slight draft. He looked up and saw the threads of smoke from the lanterns flowing into an air shaft like a reversed waterfall. The way the ceiling was shaped, he could stand straight up. Amadi and Sully stood by him. Think I'm done, Gaff. Can we stay here for a while? Take a nap, baby. Uh, take a breather. You've been through much this day. Oi, I'll do just that. Thanks. Doran found a nice bit of floor that was slightly more even than the rest and collapsed. Who are you? I know you've never graced Esselring with your wolfish presence before, but I'm sure a man of your pedigree saw the signs as you headed in. The man let his fingers lazily play on the spear behind him. The fox. Yes, that's what they call me. Our movement, this whole cool thing we have going on, my real name is Folks. Folks? You're kidding. No. The people call it as they see it, I guess. Folks the Fox, revolutionary extraordinaire at your service. He made an eloquent rolling gesture with his hand, feigning a bow. Not very creative. It doesn't need to be. The Fox is merely a symbol for the people. Cunning, sly, hard to catch, harder even to find. It's a reasonable enough title for a resistance. Why rescue us? Well, I've rescued you because I know you'll help me. And why is that? Because you'll want to. See my man here? He gestured to a cloaked figure. He once owned a business. He worked shoes. Nice ones. Simple, honorable, successful. 
and he paid his protection fees to the madam like everyone else. He resisted, as many tried to, by first running to the guard. They did nothing. Sure, they said they'd apply pressure, come by the shop in the evenings, but that never happened. The gang kept taking his money. Until one night, he refused. He was beat. Another night, he refused again, this time with a blade and some friends. The gangsters fled, but later that evening burned his business to the ground. You'd expect that to be all, but later that week his friends were found murdered in the streets. They let my man here live just to make a point. The man stared back, the eyes above his mask hollow and distant. This one here had a family, Fox continued, gesturing to another one of his followers. Her son, growing into his manhood, rebelled constantly, found himself fascinated by the gangs, power, money, freedom. The young ones love it. He saw the gangs could do whatever they want. Well... Our friend's husband finally tired of it, confronting a gangster in front of the boy. She became a widow later that night when she found her man with a knife in his back. Her son was never seen again. We think he's one of their enforcers now. Next to the wrinkles of middle age, her steely eyes dug like spades into all they regarded. That sounds about right. Hard to ignore an opportunity to be part of a gang rather than the victim of one. Sully commented. Amadi gave her a hard look. About right? It's a tragedy, the like repeated for centuries, and we can stop them from happening, pure and simple. It's always a tragedy when the innocent are preyed upon, but we all have a choice. Amadi regarded the woman. I'm sorry your son made the choice he did. Foolish. Your husband had courage. I hope you do too. Sully attempted to match the look she'd received. She couldn't tell if Amadi noticed or cared. Sad stories, but why are they my business? Come on, big guy. You helped me. You helped take down one of the kingdoms that stole your people's land, pushed you out of the fields until only your forest and mountains were left to you. Those they could never take. They were not left to us. We kept them. Exactly. Hundreds of years, war upon war, have proven the East can't be taken. Your people, the mighty, venerable, honorable Wilders, informed by your passion and strength, so unlike the kingdoms. Disheveled, fragmented peoples motivated by greed, power, or survival. Once we were passionate revolutionaries. I mean, we overthrew the great imperium for the people, for freedom from tyranny. All for a thousand years of this crap. The people of the kingdoms deserve justice, as do yours. Listen to this one, Gafgarn. One of the few we've met that makes sense. You see, in injustice, you correct it. Otherwise, nothing will change. Fox is right. <clears throat> so I help you because we have something in common? Hear me out, Gafgarn. The crown of Ethelring is unseated. There's an opening, an absence of power waiting to be filled. You or I could fill that or find those that would and work through the reborn kingdom to return to your people what's owed to them while improving the lives of the people here. It's an opportunity, boss. AJ's hiding with Madam's gang, right? It could be a way to him. Maybe. <sighs> Maybe. One more thing first. How did you know where to find us? A mutual friend sent me. Who? No clue. As an avid guerrilla revolutionary, I rarely come face to face with fellow usurpers looking to support the cause. I have agents that do that for me. 
Word came as a letter informing me of your presence and where I could find you. It suggested a prison? Uh, to be fair, that was more of a guardhouse. The prison proper is where they'd have taken you next. And that is where you would have stayed. No, our mysterious contact let me know you were lodging at the Wasted Cadaver. Said contact also let slip that you might have killed the Madam's Old Flame. I knew she'd planned something. So I paid off a captain in the guard, old friend for sure, to have you tailed, and if necessary, jailed, should she make her move. I think I heard her say something about having paid off the guard. She did. I paid more. Which is hard to do for a scraggly band such as ourselves, by the way, so you're welcome. Not many living on the hilltops care to partake in our lively drudgery, so our coffers are filled through charity of, um, an involuntary nature. He grinned madly. You steal? Only what is owed the people. Which is everything. <sighs> that letter. Maybe it was our tag or wither. You still have it? Do I look like an amateur to you? Burn after reading, friend. You don't flip a corrupt crown with loose ends hanging about. I doubt it would be the innkeep, though. A good heart he has, but the way the gangs avoid that establishment of his, I'd wager he's under the guild's protection. Even the guards keep their distance. Royal powers fear the guild as much as the underworld does. That requires political ambiguity on his part. That unwritten rule. Don't mess with the guild, and the guild won't mess with you. Recognize their handwriting? Any special seal? No and no. So you don't actually know if this is from anyone friendly, do you? I can put you back in there if you'd like. I don't think I've ever met folks so unhappy about their own jailbreak. Well, of course we appreciate the help. Thank you. <sighs> so what do you want? Right, friends. There's always a catch. Don't fret. There's something in it for you besides the jailbreak. Let's consider that first piece of business as an act of good faith. From here on out, you and I help each other. Right. So what do you want? Did you notice the burly figures moving business to business as the sun began to set, carrying lock boxes about their waists? Gafgorn remembered the gangsters he saw earlier in the evening and gave a quick nod. Get to the point. The point. The point is, my friends, that our royal pains sitting in their keeps are waging war with each other in the shadows of our city, and that war is funded by extortion. Pay fees to whichever gang runs your district and you may stay in business, under the protection of said gang from any other assaults or thievery. Never mind the taxes we already pay to the crown, which simply go to fund another kind of war. You see, the duke and duchess are not allowed to have a standing army, only a personal guard assigned to their keeps. The entire city guard answers to the king only, at least by royal decree. Off of that paper, the guard's as greedy as anyone else. All that? To what effect? Ask the duke and duchess. I imagine they'll vie for control of the city until their underlings have the resources to take out the crown and anyone else in their way. Estelring's royalty changes, the army answers to a new face, and aspirations move beyond the city walls. Duke, Duchess, or King win. nothing really changes for the people. You win and it does? Smart man. Unseat them all, I say. Clean out the gutters. Make Estelring a kingdom of the people. Maybe something completely different. Close to a millennia of monarchic chaos begs for a change and a big one at that. With luck, the fox can deliver that to them. 
No plans of taking the throne yourself? No, big fella. I plan on burning it and melting the crown in the flames. Then it's back to a quiet life of a tailor for me. Your loss might be your people's too. In any case, none of that matters if we can't move the revolution beyond petty thievery and sneaky underground gatherings. Gangs hoard a large percent of their profits for themselves, and I happen to know where the madam is keeping most of hers. We are going to relieve her of the burden of wealth. Right now. It's all prepared. I just need you for protection. How will this affect the madam? It'll frustrate her, embarrass her, she'll be angry. Those funds pay for her thugs, bordellos, supplies, and some, I assume, she owes her duchess. She'll do something stupid, I'm sure. In the end, it's more important what we do with the coin once we have it. But it'll light a fire under her leathery cheeks. Good. I owe her that. Maybe she'll slip up then. Expose the jester. So we're in agreements then? For tonight. Fantastic. If you'll follow me, we can get this operation underway. Falks grabbed his spear, bounded from his chair, and sauntered into a dark hallway. Come, Gafgarn commanded as he trudged after the gorilla, hammer in hand. The others followed, Doran begrudgingly dragging himself from the floor. Oi, when's this night gonna end? Again, they wound through numerous tunnels, with some turns and loops certainly meant to confuse. Finally, they came to a larger, rectangular chamber lit by lanterns, its two longest walls lined with more people wearing cloaks. They were huddled low, a set of heavy wooden barricades set up in front of them near the only other exit. All of them were armed with crude knives and homemade implements of murder. Falks led them to the fore, then crouched against the barricade. Get low if you want to keep your heads. Move when I do. The group obeyed except for Gafgarn, who stood taking in the scene. He felt a slight draft and looked up to see another air vent. Then he felt a sharp poke in his side. Move! A tiny weathered voice croaked. Gafgarn spun around to see nothing at first, until the prod came again and he saw below him a child-sized figure. It was clearly ancient, with angular, brilliant green eyes hidden behind wrinkles and spots. It sneered up at him with thin-aged lips. It was covered in a colorful, heavy cloth wrap that made it seem even smaller. When it spoke again, he realized it was a woman. I know you're as big as a mountain. Must think you're tough. But could you not be as dumb as one? What? Get your gigantic sour carcass behind a barricade now, or you'll be doing the backstroke in a pool of your own blood. She trotted past him towards one of the lines, muttering, If the explosion doesn't do it, I will, you idiot. <laughs> Gafgarn watched her take cover, then looked from where she came. A sparkling light traveled down the hall on the ground, like a sizzling insect of fire and lightning. He looked back at the old woman in confusion. She grinned madly at him. Might want to cover your ears, too. Think you're too dumb to listen now. See what it's like when you can't hear someone tell you to duck and cover. At least you'll have an excuse then. <laughs> he turned back saw the tiny light fade into the hall's blackness. He slammed himself down behind a barricade, Sully and Doran pulling him low. Across the way, he spied Falks. Coat pulled up around a wild grin. He held out a thumbs up. Amadi had both her healthy and crippled hands clasped on her ears. Her eyes squinted shut. Gafgarn did the same, 
and the room became deadly silent. Until it wasn't. We hope you have enjoyed Gafgar and the Eternally Unfurnished, Volume 2, Chapters 7, 8, and 9. The voices of your narrator, Gafgarn, Wither, Doran, and a certain sneak thief, and the old man at the tea shop, the albino jester, and the thug were voice acted by Mike Bethel, Harden, and sneak thief number two, the captain of the guard, and various other voices were played by J. Dean Garcia. As the new voice of Aleda, we welcome voice actress Julia Eve. Continuing her awesome role as Sully is Dr. Michelle Booz. And in a stellar performance as Amati and Sick Lilith, we have Deborah Cristobal. Kai Len was played by Zachary James Machias. Madame Ursula was played by Sarah Golding. Vanji the Assassin and Smidgen's Mistress was played by Cindy Stevens. Gafgarn the Eternally Unfurnished is written by Jeremiah French and produced by Daniel French. Fishbonius Sound Design.